Casting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live, as always, via the paid subscription of Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University. Welcome to a thunderous episode of Tackling the Chicane. Okay, well, I'm going to start out right out of the gate and tell you that I was not super stoked with the uh, intro selection, but I will say this, uh, very fitting introduction to this, what I would consider a very special episode of <laughs> in the chicane as Mr. Max Verstappen and Red Bull has been beaten. <laughs> soundly finally <laughs> we have waited for this all year and it has finally come to fruition I don't know if I've come into a recording of this humble podcast with as much excitement and zeal uh, maybe since the first episode, because ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this, this feels like a holiday. Yes, it does. And uh, as you and I had projected in earlier, we predicted some kind of defeat of the Red Bull team in previous podcasts and the stars have aligned and made it just so. Um, and going into this particular race with their struggles during qualifying, we've seen a few times this year and I thought, okay, well, I've also seen this guy come back from 14th without any imposition, but 
Mm-hmm. There was something about the lights out at Singapore. I just, I had kind of a feeling that this was going to be the race. And well, not to be so. Yeah. This was the first race of the season where the warning signs or the indications that Verstappen would be dethroned were there early and they never really left. So I remember, because the first practice was at some ridiculous hour, I remember waking up, getting the alerts uh, for the FP1 breakdown, and you look and, oh, Signs is leading the session, Max is like third. Okay, we've seen that, you know, practice. And then you get FP2, Signs is leading that, Max fourth or something like that. Then practice three, Max still not in the lead. Okay, that's when it's like, okay, maybe there's a little something to this, but we know time and time and time and time again that he was going to show up for qualifying. Well, then we get to the qualifying session, and Perez is struggling, which, I mean, not necessarily a huge indicator because he's done that how many times this season, but you could tell the Red Bull was slow by their standards and we knew Singapore you know this is a street course it's not going to be a race that's going to allow a ton of overtakes to begin with Um, and then you know Verstappen qualifies six the Ferraris have a bunch of speed McLarens have speed Mercedes have speed when Verstappen qualified sixth that's when I knew I I think this is going to be the one. In a very close, um, almost got dumped. Yeah. In Q2. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of stood out to me as well. Um, and then all of the all of the pro, all of the programming around qualifying, and if if the audience doesn't watch a lot of f1 if you don't have the subscription it's kind of tough but there are you know hour-long shows pre and post and you know basically all interviews pointed to the fact that they weren't fast and when christian horner is quiet as he was um i knew we had a chance uh i will touch briefly on the qualifying session there was a, a pretty pretty horrendous uh crash by the aston martin driver lance stroll um and he ended up not starting the race the car and and the driver both out um i don't know what his physical condition was I, i'm sure it was just a shake-up more than anything i don't believe there was any you know uh, any broken bones per se but uh mm-hmm. pretty uh harrowing hit to the wall by stroll yeah and it kind of just reminds you that these cars are on a knife's edge mm-hmm. at all times yeah and he he has performed quite well this year so i don't think it was a driver error thing uh i think this was a mechanical failure of course teams don't ever admit that <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but just of note, and then 
you know, going into this particular race, I had, I had great hopes that someone would finally dethrone them. And that's kind of the way it, it, it went. There was an awful lot of, of drama early and then sort of mid, mid GP, a lot of laps where not a whole lot of movement. This is a very tough track to, to pass on. Yeah. Um, but what made it super exciting at the end was um, some pit strategy, some safety cars. And I was really booked. I was really booking that uh, Russell was, was going to try to try to re- and, and, and as we know, he charged at the end of the race, George Russell, the Mercedes mm-hmm. are, and just a heartbreaking yeah. crash at the end, the final lap mm-hmm. where he was just pushing to the absolute limit of the car. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't really felt badly for any of these drivers this year, but I did for him. Yeah, that was, that was unlucky to say the least from him uh you did what was really interesting about the end of this race is that there was four cars that could really you could say could probably have won now science was and what i want to get into this because it's a whole discussion in and of itself but science you know did well to uh to keep the lead but we'll get into that later but yeah george russell you do kind of have to wonder if it was Hamilton in third instead of Russell, if he would have been able to get around Norris and maybe, you know, pass for the lead. Uh, I, Russell just didn't quite seem to have what it takes to get around uh, uh, Norris. And also at the end, you could see the, the back tires of that Mercedes were completely gone. He was wiggling all over the place trying to get around Norris. He shredded the tires. Well, he had pushed for for 15 plus laps (laughs) at maximum push. Yeah. And you're probably correct. You're not probably correct. You are correct that, you know, that, that was the, the Delta that basically put him in the wall is he had no grip. Yeah. Um, How great for McLaren. I mean, Lando mm-hmm. Lando was pushing. <laughs> Lando, that was probably his best drive in Formula One, just in general. I mean, that he had a great drive at Silverstone for that second place as well, where he actually uh, uh, battled for Stappen for a while. But uh, this was a fantastic drive from Lando Norris. Um, great strategy from McLaren. Um and he was always, you know, within a shout there at the end of science. And just, I don't think that McLaren has quite what it takes to get around the science Ferrari, at least at the moment. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely dive into science uh, a lot here. But right now, uh, other than Verstappen, I, I think science is clearly uh, the second best driver just if you were looking at it today. Uh, but yeah, the McLaren team in general, now Piastri got boned in qualifying by that stroll crash. 
uh, he had to abort his flying lap, basically. So he started 14th and moved up all the way to 7th. So he had a great recovery drive, too. Um, so really uh, a great day, and I'm sure Zach Brown was thrilled with that performance. Yeah, and I mean, it's good to see both McLaren cars in the points. Um, we can't, you know, we have to give K-Mag a little bit of love here. Yeah, Haas in the points. In so um, I was actually hoping that as well as they qualified. Yeah, they probably um, should have gotten more. Right, but this car just is not up to the standard of the of the top three or four teams. So I was going back and watching some analysis of this race, and I didn't realize it within the race, but then I it kind of reminded me. Uh, Hulkenberg actually kind of, when that safety car comes out, or the VSC comes out for Logan Sargent, he said, what's pit now? And they said no, basically. And he was running like what eighth or something at that point. And what did he finish? You know, not in the points, basically. They, um, so, they should have. Yeah. Him. So I, I mean, yes, Haas did get you know a point out of this race, which is always good, but probably more on the table for them. Very conservative play by them, and that's kind of what separates the men from the boys. Mm -hmm. And you have to take a risk. Yeah. Um. And that risk may have very well paid off, but I think Gunther Steiner gets in his own head and he's worried about a pit lane. You know, anything can happen in the pit, right? Yeah. So a sub three second time is what everybody aims for. And we, we saw a few issues in the pit lane for this particular race where there was traffic. Mm -hmm. and Alonso yeah. had a very, very long stop. Yes, that they, ruined his race. They dropped the car. They're waiting to flag him out, and then all of a sudden there's another car that is trying to get into the box in front of him, and all you can do is wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to go. Yeah. Unsafe release or potentially contact, so... Yeah, a very, very lousy day from that Aston Martin team. And he actually radios at the end. Probably the first time we've heard anything negative about the car this season. Uh, he said the car is undrivable. So uh, maybe not all sunshine and rainbows at Aston Martin uh, like it was. But um, it does. And I think we all kind of knew at the beginning of the season that this Aston Martin renaissance was not gonna really last forever the teams were eventually gonna catch up like mclaren uh pretty much the real uh prime example of that but it was really weird to see aston martin uh not really show up uh for this one yeah and anything can happen but what i really took away from this particular race was a lot of these teams have caught up and, you know, they talk about in pre-race programs, they talk about um, cars that have been upfitted or um, 
I don't know what the word is exactly, but we've, we saw a lot of that in this race where other teams are finally, and this is kind of the, the onus of GP is they will figure it out at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing that. So the second half of the season, I hope, or, uh, you know, the few remaining GPs were beyond the half point, but, you know, will we see more challenges to Red Bull? I hope so. I hope I, I do want to mention that. I think there's a, a reason and actually I'll, I'll point to my sources, uh, the race, I believe YouTube channel, they posted a video basically kind of saying why Red Bull struggled. And one of the reasons was the, the arrow setup. So if we're getting more on the technical side of things, the Red Bull car is designed to have a super, super low ride height to basically, you know, optimize their Grand Prix speed. Um, But when you put that super, super low ride height on a street course that is bumpy and not, you know, carpet, uh, it doesn't really work as well. Um, So there was definitely a contributing factor to why Red Bull didn't have the race pace. uh, And I think that was one of them. And also... Tire strategy, I think this was the first time they messed up on strategy this season because they start on hards um, and Max is undercut basically by that top four uh, who pit for mediums or they pit for hards, start on mediums um, where Max then has to pit and basically it just never works for him. So that was, there were kind of two big factors as to why uh, Red Bull weren't up to snuff. Well, what I really noticed is the there was a lot of quietness on the Red Bull radio, and I I had keyed in to Max at some point just to try to see what where their head was at, and mm-hmm. it was just dead silence. Really? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of back and forth, or you know, a lot of times he he. he has a propensity to complain a bit Mm -hmm. and i just i didn't didn't even hear that so yeah um i i don't know It, it it i think it was just one of those races where as you said you know they set that car up for for optimum downforce and this is a street Mm -hmm. in singapore so as you said, not, not a red carpet race by any means. And, and I kind of, I enjoy the fact that at least F1 knows that there's some equalizer at some point in the season. And this was that equalizer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a, a, the stars aligned moment and that's, really to the credit of Verstappen and his dominance, because we, we've been saying something basically magical has to happen for him to lose. And that's basically what happened for once Red Bull didn't have the right setup and they didn't have the right strategy. And Ferrari brought a great race trim 
and just Carlos Sainz was on his absolute A plus game, you know. And if you if you noticed, I don't know if this is by design from F one or not, but you know the plank under the car that has the titanium front mm-hmm. that make, that creates the, spark. the sparks. Yeah, this was a very sparky race, and it was mm-hmm. a night race, which we need more. Yeah. We need more night races because there's something about being under the lights. And I think that that's part of the pageantry of, of this series is, you know, these cars kind of sparking and bouncing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, but just very enjoyable, (laughs) very (laughs) enjoyable for once to watch. And then, you know, as, 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 as I mentioned before, Heart, just a heartbreaking end for for uh, George Russell, who mm-hmm. on on the radio with twenty laps to go, all he kept saying is, "I want, I want to win. How do we win? Yeah, I want to win." And he he drove the car on its absolute edge to the point where, in the final lap, uh, unfortunately. Uh, rears kind of went away and Mm -hmm. it was just, I don't, I don't normally have a lot of sympathy for any of these guys, but I really felt it for him for some reason in this, this particular situation. You know, I think, yeah, I think for me, it's just, you can respect a guy that has just doing everything he can to get his car to victory lane and it, it doesn't work out. And it, and it is, it is, almost a like Hollywood type thing to crash on the last lap going for the win. That's, it is really uh, just a sort of horribly dramatic uh, instance there. Uh, So you do kind of feel bad in that, in that regard. Uh, It does mean Lewis Hamilton gets uh, on the podium uh, for this one. Um, before we kind of, because I really want to kind of deep dive into Carlos Sainz' performance, but we texted about another driver um, named Logan Sargent, uh, who brings out the BSC, which kind of shakes up this race a little bit. Uh, basically, another kind of self-inflicted error um, in a season where that seems to be kind of the norm, um, is are you anticipating him being in F one next season? At this point, no, mm-hmm. no, I can't see how he's adding any value to that Williams team, and I'm not sure who will take that seat. But my my best guess for the end of this year is that unfortunately an american driver and i have a little bit of rooting in myself for for that but um no i i think that they're going to um find another driver in that position he just he just hasn't and an albon right who's Mm -hmm. his teammate has performed considerably well yeah you know in qualifying and otherwise uh yeah so i don't see sergeant coming back unfortunately now with that being said i think the other 
team that we should probably put an eyeball on is Alphatari. Yes, yes, because Liam Lawson, I think, has totally thrown a wrench into what that team probably expected uh, to be next year, which is, I think, Daniel Ricardo and Yuki Sonoda. Now I'm seeing uh, that Liam Lawson might, you know, be well enough to replace Yuki. Because let's be real, Daniel Ricardo is kind of a lock. I mean, you're just, it's not great business to not have Danny Rick in your seat, even if maybe you don't know what kind of performance he's going to give you. Well, um, and you can't, you can't fault him for a broken hand. Yeah. So I would agree with that. I think Lawson, I mean, listen, for somebody who dips into a team and shows up at the last couple of races, a hundred percent. And, you know, Sonoda has, if you look back historically, uh, has had quite a few horrible failures. Right? Yeah. But he's been good this season or a lot better than last, you know, so he does make mistakes, but he's definitely kind of cut down on that this year. And let's like the AlphaTauri is the worst car on the grid and he has driven it to the points on three occasions. Now, granted, they've all been P10, but still it's like he is getting kind of as much as he probably can out of that thing. Yeah. Well, before you go to science, I'm going to, let me dip over here, get another beverage real quick, but go to the science. Uh, let's talk about Carlos a bit. All right. Before we kind of jump into that, uh, I do want to just mention a couple other good drives from this particular GP, Pierre Gasly, sixth place, getting that Alpine uh, up into the points this season has been a bit of a rarity. And of course, once again, Esteban Ocon not finishing this race. Um, let's see. I mean, Valtteri Bottas probably maybe was in for the points. Another, I believe, is a mechanical issue. Um, we did course go over Liam Lawson Sergio Perez sort of a lame duck uh in P8 uh and then of course Charles Leclerc finishing fourth but unequivocal unequivocally the the man that has stolen the show of this past F1 weekend is Mr. Carlos Sainz the smooth operator himself um I just want to before we go into the performance, just how refreshing is it to see uh, someone new in that P1? Well, it's it's a great lift for Ferrari, who in any season has their own, you know, struggle with strategy as far as, you know, whether it be tires or um, sometimes they have some pit, incidents that don't really work out for them but mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i guess if i had to have chosen another team to unseat and you and i have talked about this 
on previous podcasts, it would have been McLaren. Yeah. You know, but I'll take it. I'll take it. And I, I, I think that there are teams that are deserved of a victory and, and this is a bold prediction, but this may not be the final GP where there is another car in P1. Okay. I, I hope so. I mean, I really do. I, it seems like, you know, this big weight uh, that was on F1's shoulders and the fans, unless you're a Red Bull or Verstappen fan, has kind of been lifted. Where before, well, I mean, I think we can both be kind of self-aware here. We were a bit doom and gloom uh, in, the, in the dark days of this long run. And I, I don't want to make it seem like we have some vendetta against Verstappen. I think we were more just... We wanted to see someone else win, which I think is a lot of people. I don't really have any personal grievance with Verstappen, to be quite honest. But I, I'm just so glad that somebody finally won. And to be honest, I, I'm just throw it out there. I love Carlos Sainz. I, I love his attitude. I, he's sort of a no bullshit. And I'm. I think I'm the shit kind of driver, but he yeah. can back it up. Um, and I, I just love his attitude. Um, and I think, you know, he doesn't seem to really feel the pressures of driving for a team like Ferrari as much as Leclerc does either. I think Leclerc sometimes kind of gets caught up in this mindset of i need to win every race and i i can't make mistakes ever and i think the pressure really gets to Leclerc a lot where signs is more of a head down and i'm just gonna race my ass off every week and i think i i think you greatly deserved this win yeah i i don't disagree with that at all um if I if I had to predict an unseating, um, I think we're going to see either Oscar Piastri or Lando Norris be a science-like savior. Potentially, I, I could see that happening. the The only problem is I know McLaren doesn't have quite the speed that Ferrari does. Um. So. It probably would take a little bit more luck uh, than it did for Sainz to win for McLaren to see uh, the checkered flag there. But I, I, McLaren are very, very strong. And let's also not forget, um, perhaps if Lewis Hamilton was in Russell's spot, I think we very well could have seen a Mercedes uh, win that race as well. Um, but which is great that to say that there's at this moment in time, there's four teams that, you know, actually are challenging for wins now. And we've been saying that all year too. It's like, if you take away Red Bull, it's been super competitive this year. It just happened to coincide with this dominant year for Red Bull. Yeah. And it's almost I'll say almost impossible 
to run the table in a series like this. And even though it looked like that was going to be what happens, um, you know, now we're, we're starting to see a little bit of, um, uh, the word escapes me, but you know, Red Bull has to come back from that race and they will. And that's the other thing I wanted to kind of say is they will, they will come back with a vengeance. Oh, without a doubt. He wants every point. He wants every fastest lap. He wants to win every GP. And, you know, Christian Horner, he, he is, when you think about team principles, uh, I don't think you can set a higher standard than a Christian Horner. No. And, and given, you know, if he ends up, and he's not going to, but let's say in a fantasy world, <laughs> he goes to another team. Mm-hmm. You better goddamn believe that they're going to win too. Yeah. No, he's definitely, he's definitely got to be the best. I would say Toto Wolf is probably the closest at the moment. And I know you could probably, when Lewis was dominating, everyone was probably saying Toto Wolf was the best, you know, team principal. But I don't know. It does seem like um, he's really got the team dialed in. Um, Yeah. And well, it doesn't even seem like that. He just does. Um, and let's be honest the the result here in Singapore doesn't really change anything about the series. Red Bull will probably still win most of the remaining races. And by Red Bull, I basically mean Max Verstappen. And they'll probably win most of the races next year too. But it's it is just it was re- it was nice to have a little vacation. Uh, and I do really hope uh, that if if not, you know, someone besides Verstappen wins in Japan, at least it's a really competitive race. Um, the one last thing I wanted to say about this one was uh, how awesome was it to see at the end, um, you could hear over the team radio signs like uh, Norris is 0.8 seconds back. And all signs radios in and says, uh, he says, I know I'm doing it on purpose. That was awesome because, you know, he's keeping Norris within DRS range, which just, which means Norris is harder to pass from Russell and so on and so forth. In the moment when you're flying around at 200 miles an hour to how do you even think about that? Well, and, and well stated. And a great point is science isn't a driver that wants to be 14 seconds ahead of the car behind him. There's, there's a couple of reasons for that. And maybe you can call my bullshit if it's bullshit, but <laughs> there, it, it, there's a little thing called turbulence and dirty air. Yeah. And keeping that car in a close check with you creates almost a slipstream. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you can get three laps ahead of somebody, you're going to. Yeah. But I just, I feel like he, he's a driver. Science is 
his strategy is much different. Max is, I want to get in P1 and I want to mm-hmm. pull away. Yeah. Well, we all know what that does for the race fan. Mm-hmm. Science is more of no calculated. I'll let him be right there. That's fine. Yeah. I can, I'll, I can defend the position, but mm-hmm. and it gives everybody so much, such a better product. Yeah. And I'm sure he's not, you know, super worried about the product, but the, the, the consequence of his race strategy is that I think he is just a more entertaining driver than Max Verstappen. Now, the Max Verstappen of old, you know, everyone loved that because he was a gunslinger and he would make super aggressive moves. And he was, he was the breath of fresh air during that Lewis Hamilton dominance. So I, you know, it's all cyclical, which we know, but it it was, it was great. You know, um, I'm looking at driver standings, as you said, nothing really to report here. Um, they're just so much differential between even three and four, three and four is probably our closest race at this point. Uh, Lewis Hamilton with 180 points, Fernando Alonso with 170. So 10 point differential might close the gap. I don't think he's going to unseat Hamilton at this point. And then yeah. after that, it's just too much differential, especially one, two. Um, we're talking about a hundred and, 49 points yeah that's been sealed for a while um constructors let me just take a look at that real quick here this it's even worse (laughs) so red bull is 597 points mercedes at 289 so not unseating anything there uh, Ferrari at 265. So two, three, you know, a potential close at the end of the season. Don't see an unseating there. And then after that, it just gets a little bit more, uh, distant. So, mm-hmm. uh, Japan coming up here 22nd through the 24th. Um, let me just go down to the circuit real quick stats oh and the dell is performing quite well here <laughs> that thing so is this seen. is a this is a pretty interesting track um the layout is is very challenging so we have a lot of tight turns uh 11 is a is an absolute kink so we'll see um We'll see what happens here. 80, 1987 was the first GP. It's a 53-lap race, uh, 5.8 kilometers, so fairly long mm-hmm. track. Um, and the lap record at 130 and change is Hamilton. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I, yeah. I, I fully expect Red Bull to have a head down position to regain their dominance, but, um, practice and qualifying will, will tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, 
to do, I guess, a little prediction. I, like I said earlier, I don't think this the previous result here in Singapore really changes anything. I think this is Verstappen still will most likely win this one, but yeah, I I do have a, a bit more positive outlook than I did last week. You know, uh, I think you know anything can happen now. Uh, it didn't feel like it not so long ago, but who knows. Now that we have some vulnerability, um, yeah, we just go into the next race with with um, some confidence that uh, you know maybe maybe something great will happen. Yeah, and even outside of just who won the race, I mean, we still. When's the last time? We had four people battling for the a win, you know, like that race in Singapore showed F1 at its finest, just as a series, as a product. It's the reason why it's the most popular racing series in the world. It's the reason why it's so captivating, even when there is so much dominance. Uh, sure, maybe it's a bit more predictable than some other racing series, but the end of the day it is the pinnacle of motorsport in the world well i'm i'm really happy to hear you say that because i've i've mentioned this previously there there is nothing else you know there i love indycar um i i struggle a bit with with attention span with indycar um, I appreciate NASCAR for what that series is, uh, but we're talking about apples and oranges here. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the most complicated machines with the best drivers mm-hmm. in, on the planet Earth. So we'll continue our, our um, you know, that's kind of what, how this podcast was founded as well as soccer. And, and, you know, we're just going to keep plugging, plugging along with it and, mm-hmm. and hoping that, you know, these, the future seasons, I think, I don't, it seems hard to say 2026, 20, but there's going to be some injections, uh, some team modifications coming up that, will keep us captivated in this series. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to the remainder of the season. Uh, You know, this, it's just been a a breath of, of much needed fresh air. And uh, I don't know, maybe made it, I have struggled to really latch on to any team or driver but it's going to be hard not to root for carlos signs in the in the future for me at least understood understood and um yeah i mean i i keep a close eyeball on haas just because i have a heartfelt connection to any american team that comes into this series um mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how striking the Williams golf. Oh, yeah, we didn't even 
and all the excitement and hullabaloo. I mean, that is the greatest livery I think I've ever seen. I have a static photo of that car against the black background, and it is absolutely stunning. Yeah, that that is probably I don't know if you could find a good print of that. That that that's that's office material, I think. Well, and I, as you know, I have a a um, propensity to like anything that has a golf blue and orange mm-hmm. golf ball, as I call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just, you know, Williams has a, a, a bit of a place in, in my heart because uh, historically the golf livery is, you know, we're talking about Le Mans in the 60s when, you know, Ford beat Ferrari, and it always goes back to that for me. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very, very cool. And I think they're running it for two more races, so. It's not yeah. a one-off, so yeah, very yeah. cool, very cool for sure. Yeah, I think that wraps it up with F one. Uh, no soccer uh, for this one. Uh, it, this was, like I said, sort of an emergency broadcast. I wasn't sure if we were running this week, but uh, with the result of the weekend, I was like, "Well, we we gotta." <laughs> yeah, we have to. We have to. Um... We have to do our thing when a race like that happens. Um, busy week for me, and we're not that any of the listeners have a, a stake in whatever night we broadcast. But yeah, this is a Wednesday night recording, which is a bit rare. It's usually on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I will talk a bit in the closing outro about uh why we're here on wednesday versus thursday but let's um let's dip a, a bit of a toe into nascar yeah yeah and, uh you know we're deep into the uh playoff scenario so mm-hmm. uh give us a little taste of that yeah, so this past weekend in NASCAR, they ran at Bristol, the annual Bristol fall night race, uh, which, if you haven't watched, is a awesome spectacle, more often than not. NASCAR on short track, short sort of the, the bread and butter of the series. I know a lot of people probably associate NASCAR with the Daytona 500, and you know, rightly so, but the what the series was built upon american stock car racing on you know short ovals that is kind of the foundational element of the series in bristol you know the last great coliseum they call it so definitely always a great uh, watch um and this was a cutoff race for the round of 16 so 16 drivers entered that were in the championship hunt uh, after this one, four were cut off, um, and my favorite driver, Bubble Wallace, came into this race uh, 19 points below the cut line after uh, basically the unluckiest of things happened to him while he was running 
P2 in Kansas, uh, his Goodyear rubber uh, pretty much just exploded on him. Uh, he went into the wall, and that was that. So he really, I said last week he needed a lot to go right, and, well, <laughs> a lot went right. So he ran pretty much in the top 10 or top 15 the whole night. Um, and then Joey Logano, who was like kind of the closest or one of the closest drivers to him uh, in terms of the playoff uh, table, uh, got caught up in a wreck uh, that was pretty unfortunate for him. It busted his toe link and it, his whole rear of the car was it was dismantled basically. So he couldn't go. So a playoff driver was basically out, which slotted up Martin Truex Jr. and Bubba Wallace. Um, so basically, Bubba just had to finish the race, which he did. So Bubba survives into the round of 12, which is really exciting. He'll be the, the driver that has the most work to do, but I, I, think, I don't think he'll mind that one bit. Um, I'm trying to, because I'm, I'm mostly Bubba-centric in NASCAR, if you ha can't tell. Uh, can't even, I'm trying to think of who won that race. Now i got to look it up. Uh, I was multitasking while that race was going on with some other uh, sports. So, oh yeah, Denny Hamlin, uh, Bubba's owner, won. Uh, so he advanced into the next round. Kyle Larson took second. He's probably been the best driver in this in this first round. Uh, he won the first race in P2 here. Christopher Bell. Chris Buescher, P4. We talked about Chris Buescher last week. He seems to just be getting literally everything out of his Ford Mustang. Better and better. And I've, I have always been a, a Buescher fan. Um. He just kind of speaks to me as a driver. I, 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 I appreciate just his style and kind mm -hmm. of his, the way he conducts himself post-race. You know, that, that's always been somewhat important to me. And mm -hmm. some of these guys struggle with that. So, yeah. Um, if, if you have the information, what so we have how many to go mm -hmm. and how does this all kind of suss itself out <laughs> mm -hmm. um so there's seven races left we're into the round of 12 here so there will be three round of 12 races and then another cutoff then three round of eight races in cutoff and then it leads up to the championship race which is just one race at phoenix um so next this i guess this week now is at texas motor speedway um which doesn't tend to offer a fantastic product but oh well uh and then i guess kind of the big the the big one of the uh of this round is talladega the week after uh and then also coming up is the charlotte uh roval so it's a combination of oval and road course and then vegas uh yeah and then it leads up to the cup series championship uh which is usually always a pretty entertaining watch so 
uh, yeah, just down to yeah, NASCAR, similar to F1 and soccer, to be honest. Uh, both kind of marathon seasons, and we're getting to the final stretch, which is always exciting. Yeah, so speaking of Vegas, um, I'm trying to – is does F1 go there this year or next year? They go this year. It's in November, and weirdly, I just looked it up the other day. I was just looking at the schedule. It's going to be at 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so 10 p.m. there. So basically, that's a decision – the FIA made to basically capture as many television eyeballs around the world as possible, um, which is fine. That's totally justifiable, but it just means we are kind of boned here on the, the East coast of the United yeah. States. So that might be a, I'm sure it's 1am Saturday, right? 1am Sunday morning. Sunday. Yeah. 10 p.m. So, Saturday night there. Might need to take a nap and watch that one live. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I think that might be the best case there. Yeah. So ooh. here we go. We <laughs> yeah. races in the U.S. Yeah. We, after Japan, I think I, I we're into the sort of North American, uh, and South American sort of swing the leg. Right. So there, there's a cutter race uh, previous October 6th. Okay. Through the so 8th after that. Then, right. Um, Texas looks like is October 20. And uh, Mex I believe it's Mexico City after that. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. And then off to Vegas probably. Yeah, yeah, probably Vegas, and then usually Brazil is in there somewhere. That's where last year, remember, uh, K-Mag took pole and George Russell won the race. Uh, so that that could be very, very interesting. And then uh, they always finish up uh, in Abu Dhabi, I think. So, yeah, it is Abu Dhabi. Gutter. Texas, Mexico, and then maybe it's Brazil. Okay. Brazil, then um, Vegas, and then Abu Abu Dhabi. So. Ugh. <laughs> sort of in, interesting, and by interesting, I mean maybe not great uh, scheduling there from F1. That I don't know why you'd go from Mexico City, uh, then to Vegas, then to Brazil. Why wouldn't you just go to from Mexico City to Brazil? I mean, it's slightly I closer. Think that, I think that's that is the schedule. So, yeah, Mexico, Brazil, um, U.S., Vegas, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm telling you, this this Vegas thing is going to be pretty crazy. And yeah, it will be really looks, interesting to see. Track looks a little lame, actually. Yeah, no, it. I I saw that months ago. It, it was like, uh, I will. Let's just say this. Square with, yeah, uh, two two bumps. 
let's just say this it's not it's not going to be a fan favorite amongst non-americans the only thing it might present is uh, opportunity to overtake maybe uh, it should be a pretty high speed race for sure because i'm looking at the back stretch as a simple kink other than that i i mean this could be we'll see but i i, I think this will be a an overtaking race i hope i don't yeah. know who knows Price. the only reason they're doing it is because it's going to bring them a billion dollars <laughs> yeah yeah i mean city. we know why we know why they're doing it so yeah yeah all right well uh and why did that i think that's pretty much all we got on the docket i will say uh the soccer content will should return for next weekend or next week um we'll go back into that the the north london derby is happening sunday and postacoglu's first big derby tottenham hotspur versus arsenal so i think we will definitely uh be discussing that next time around um, so stay tuned, soccer fans, so you're not forgotten. Just the the hullabaloo of the Carlos Sainz win had to take precedent this time around. Right on. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that's pretty much uh, it. Yeah. So we will get gone with a special tune for Mr. Max Verstappen. Oh, boy. Have you heard about the lost oh, beaten by the Queen of Hearts every time? Have you heard about the lonesome loser? He's a loser, but he still keeps on trying. Four executive producers and a shout out to Gary Lucius. Happy birthday, Dad. I will see you tomorrow. Exec executive producers Debbie Barner. Let's not forget Tony Lakata. Richard Tanaka. This has been Tackling the Chicane. We will see you next time.